Hey everyone, and welcome to the Truck Guy Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Guy. Thanks for joining us on our adventures, and we're glad to have you along. If you're new around here at first, welcome, and know that the Truck Guy Podcast is your dirt road ride to the freshest inside takes on the latest truck news, test drives, how-to tips, and a dose or two of high-octane opinion. This week's guest is Brian Turner. He's a lifelong Canadian gearhead who spent ample time employed at parts counters, near assembly lines, and plenty of other places in which he's had an opportunity to hone his technical knowledge. Brian does his level best to put over four decades of frontline parts and service experience to work, helping you understand not only how your vehicle works, but how to get the best deals when getting it repaired or maintained. So Brian's going to be answering a selection of your questions. They were sent in to us by listeners through email and social media, such as, what's the best place to start when building a custom off-roader out of a 2014 Jeep Wrangler? Will a bad ground strap cause electrical havoc in a 15-year-old Chevrolet HD? And is it hard to replace? The ground strap, that is, not the Chevy. (laughs) And should a listener pay heed to his buddy who's insisting this truck's rear differential fluid needs changing after hauling a trailer down east? That's all coming up in the next half hour on the Truck Guy Podcast. This is the Truck Guy Podcast with your host, Matthew Guy. And Brian Turner, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Matt. <laughs> We're glad to have you here. Um, Brian, some of our listeners, um, I know we had a little bit of an introduction there in the preamble, but uh, tell us a bit about what you do and tell us a bit about yourself as it relates to cars. Well, I've been working in uh, fixed operations on the counter side of things in service and parts departments for about 45 years. And uh, I've worked in uh, just about every variety from body shops to independents. I even had a stint at a national office for American Motors when they own Jeep and Renault. God bless them. <laughs> and I've been writing for I've been writing automotive columns for almost 40 years. Uh, started started off with the Ottawa Citizen and then graduated to Post Media and uh, have lots of fun doing it. Um, I started off with, you know, consumer question columns, try to find answers to their problems. And uh, and now we just uh, try to pick the most popular concern and uh, try to tackle it one column at a time. And. I've written lots of words, but I don't know how many made sense. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of them were helpful because that's what we're going to do uh, today. Uh, we, we've got a list of questions that we've um, taken from social media and email and things like that. So putting putting all of that experience to uh, to good use, I guess, today. Well, we hope so. Yeah, I hope so, too. Uh, I know so. I know so, especially with Adam. And you worked with American Motors, so that would have been... During that Renault era, that would have That's been right. mid-80s, I guess. Yeah. When we answered the phone, it was a mouthful. We had to say AMC Jeep Renault. <laughs> and uh, and that was in the heyday of the Renault Alliance and yep. uh, the Reliant. And then we had uh, all the famous Renault products like the Fuego. Right. <laughs> and, of course, Jeep, we were we were it when it came to SUVs and 4x4s. That's and, the, uh, the genesis the of it all. What's that? The genesis of it all, I think. Yeah, that's where it all started. And yeah. uh, and learned a lot uh, and then uh, have seen history repeat itself 
with new designs. <laughs> Sometimes designers and engineers don't always get it right. <laughs> well, speaking of designs and engineers, um, our first question is from Rob from, um, from Facebook. And Rob asks, so he's he says, shopping half-ton trucks, F-150, Sierra, Ram. So it sounds like he's sticking with some of the domestic uh, brands there. He says, what option should I look for? Um, towing a 7,500-pound trailer, and do you have any recommendations? Great question to start things off. Uh, and I always, I've always told people throughout the years in columns and face-to-face -face at the counter, when they're looking for what they want to haul as far as weight, they should always give themselves a 20% margin of error because what, what happens is that um, trucks often outlast trailers or businesses change or needs change. And now you want to know if you can haul another 10 sheets of drywall or, you know, another 15 bags of concrete. And it can make a real difference. If you start off right at the limit and you've got lots to pick from at 7,500 pounds, um, you can end, end up in trouble, you know, as little as a couple of years down the road. Because it, nothing ever changes for less. It always changes for more. You're more business, more weight. Uh, and that kind of uh, that kind of weight range, everybody in the industry has, has got a truck that'll handle it. And of course, you know they're now pushing uh, you know ten thousand pound capacity towing on on half ton trucks. I'm still a little wary, but I'll I'll tell you what. In the years since they've done that, and it's been a while, I haven't seen axle failures. I I have seen transmission failures, uh, but that's usually because somebody was pushing it past the limit. You always want to make sure when you're looking at the packages that are offered by those three makers and they're, they're great choices, um, make sure they have, you know, towing capacity listed, make sure they have a, a, a towing package, which usually involves a slightly heavier transmission cooler, slightly heavier suspension and, and rear axles. If they have a choice in axle sizes, uh, and this happens on many half tons, you can get an optional axles, always go for the largest one, no question. So if they uh, if they offer a, a 10 and a quarter, 11 and a quarter, a 12 inch axle instead of the you know factory standard nine and a quarter, go for it because it'll give you beefier. Um, everything rides on the axle. A lot of people think they have to be concerned with suspension, and yes, you do. But at the end of the day, the entire weight is on the axle bearings, so you can't get away from that. And you you can add lots of things after you buy a truck to make it tow but not in the eyes of the manufacturer. They don't allow you to do any accessorizing after the fact that they'll recognize as increasing the towing capacity of their vehicle, not by one pound. So if you're looking at something brand new and you've got a five-year warranty to protect, you definitely want to play by their rules and buy it right the first time. I'm, I'm very fortunate, and I look over the industry coast to coast. I've never seen a lot of examples of this where a customer was misled uh, in a sales negotiation and on a contract. It rarely happens, but it still means the consumer needs to do their homework. Check those build sheets on the side of the truck carefully. Uh, make sure if, if, you know, towing capacity is a big concern for you, if you're a small contractor, business person, whatever, make sure it's included in the contracts. That's a good point, and and I like how you phrased it. That build more in because nothing ever gets smaller, whether that's it's trailers right. and no matter how big a garage you have, you will fill it. It's that yep. same type of <laughs> yep. theory. What we, what we do see a lot with people 
in the first half ton purchase, you know, of their driving career and, and towing a, a commercial trailer is a, a lot of misconception about where the tongue weight should be. Um, and, um, I look, for example, my day job, I hang my day job hat at a, at a Ram dealership. Um, we do see a lot of complaints of uh, suspension sag when hooking up a trailer. Uh, keep in mind, you really only should be looking at about 10% of the gross trailer's weight on top of that hitch. And uh, some people overdo it. Some people don't realize, you know, they need to balance the load over a single axle. They need to even be concerned that they're towing a twin axle trailer to make sure they've got the right amount of weight on it. Uh, we've satisfied a lot of the SAG complaints with a simple airbag installation. The manual type, you know, the ones from uh, either Firestone, that famous tire manufacturer, or uh, automotive lift services. Right. That slide inside the coil springs and you run a line at a Schrader valve to the rear bumper and uh, pump them up and you're off to the races. If you um, put a set of those in a truck and, and inflate them to their recommended limit uh, and you're still sagging, you've got either the wrong truck or the wrong load. Yeah, there's something something awry there for sure. And there's so many tools. Um, GM had, does a pretty good job of putting the weight rating on the sticker right there in the in the in the door jam um you know ford has some lights that uh populate as you load up your truck as you load up your payload and so. from my years you know dealing with customers the people that are in that know their trucks uh have done a little homework they don't get caught off guard and they're up front and you know they they know what they want they know what they have to ask their truck to do uh it's it's always better to look for more displacement when it comes to the power plants um and I, maybe I've got a bias because we we still put a honking V8 in our Ram trucks. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that low end grunt, when you're towing a load, the torque you need to get off the line smoothly uh, and without jerking everything around or rattling your teeth, uh, it's important to make sure you have horsepower and torque. And torque, absolutely. And that kind of leads into the next question. You talked about rear ends and you talked about um, the different capabilities of of the truck. Um, Tyler sent in an email. He said a buddy of his said that he should change the rear differential oil in his F one fifty after towing a trailer down east from Alberta. So is he full of nonsense? Tyler asks. Well, the that's a, was... well that, that is a polite way of putting it. I really think uh, he is he is full of nonsense. I have seen a lot of fluid related differential failures in my career. And it's uh, number one cause is water contamination because somebody's uh, vent, because uh, you know the, the axles that have a vent to prevent water from coming in, the vent cap was damaged uh, or it was rusted, and they just swallowed a whole pile of lake water when they were trying to get the fishing boat in for the first shot of the season, or um, or they overheated them badly. But uh, a standard drive across you know a long distance on on regular highways. Even though the vehicle's under load, that doesn't mean there's a lot more load on the differential gears. There's load on the truck. There's load on the engine and transmission, no question. But you're not, you know, at that, when you're at highway speed, you know, the differential is living its sweet life because it's, it's, it's not running hot. It's being cooled. It's got lots of airflow around it. And uh, you're not doing any sudden, you know, shifts of the torque demand. When you're towing a trailer on the highway, you're running things relatively smooth you're trying to save gas and you know, <laughs> you're not punching it at every stoplight right 
True. So the stresses on it are completely different than they would be in other situations where that might demand the fluid change later on down the road. Exactly. And I guess I'm making sure to keep your trailer within weight, as you said, of whatever is recommended for your truck is some of the cheapest insurance you can buy. It, exactly. And, uh, you know, we, we look at all the, the advances in technology over the years. And when it comes to trailer towing, the anti-sway trailer control systems, they're definitely a must. They're usually included in every major tow package on, on vehicles. Uh, but these are the systems that can alternately apply uh, braking pressure to different and individual wheels when they have the ability to detect trailer sway, because that's nothing, there's nothing more white knuckle inducing or, and heart race <laughs> causing events that can happen on a roadway is when your trailer starts swaying out of control. Well, once the tail starts wagging the dog, that is a sphincter tightening moment. There's no yes, question. it is. It'll, right? it'll, give, it'll give your pacemaker and your blood pressure medication a test. <laughs> the doctor says, What's up? what happened? What, what was that spike? Um, <laughs> the next question is from Colton on Facebook, and this one's really specific. Um, Colton says he's got a 2006 Silverado HD with a 6-liter. And some issues with lights and other weird electrical problems have surfaced. And I, Colton must have, a, you know, a, a clue or three looking under the hood. Because he said, it looks like there's a ground strap under the hood, bolted to the firewall. It's all green and nasty. So is that, might that cause an electrical problem? And is it hard to replace? It's absolutely, he's absolutely right. It can cause a host of electrical problems. And when you think of all the... Uh, low voltage signals and processors that that are existent even in a 2006 and and absolutely today they're swamped with these low voltage systems if you've got a ground strap that's you know not doing its job it can cause voltage spikes and voltage drops across a wide range of activities in the vehicle changing one out is relatively simple they're available at uh, not only the dealership but uh, aftermarket uh, stores uh, by different links. They come pre-done with the eyelets already soldered on them. It literally is just a little bit of sandpaper and a screwdriver type of job. Uh, but it, that points to another thing. When you That's one connection you can see and one connection that's fairly robust. So, you know, if you treat it bad, it's not going to be upset. Uh, that's not the case with these computer connectors. Every vehicle, his 2006 and onwards, has a number of these multi-pin connectors, whether it's the pin connector for the engine control computer, the pin connector that takes one harness to the next, the engine bay into the truck cab and so on and so forth. And um, the, the amount of corrosion we can find uh, on these types of connectors would uh, astound you. And all it takes is just a little bit of a dusty buildup on one of 60 pins in a connector to cause some really unique symptoms on a vehicle. Like you you push on the horn button and the washers come on, or you get this wild <laughs> misfire only during one or two degrees of temperature warm up in the, in the morning. So uh, those things we found to be a real problem, uh, as well as on the receiving end, what these things are plugged into. Uh, engine control computers, um, uh, we've got, you know, uh, underhood fuse panels now that contain one or more circuit boards, and they control a lot of things that used to just have their own wiring harness and a battery feed and a switch. God forbid we'd ever go back to those those ways of thinking. <laughs> um, 
And they can be expensive. They can be heart-wrenching on the wallet um, if you have to get into those. But I would certainly start, if I opened the hood and saw that, uh, I would have no doubt to head over to the auto parts store and, and get one the right length. And just make sure you've got a clean sheet metal because uh, they're usually grounded to the firewall in most cases. And you've got a good solid contact on the other end as well. If that means a little emery cloth to buff things up a bit, go right ahead. Make sure it's tight and solid and and then see what's going on after that. And hopefully that could be the end of your problem with a, a cheap $5 fix. Right. And that's um, starting with some of the easy fixes is much better than diving into some of the some of the hard stuff right exactly. away. Exactly. But I, I give I give him credit. He, he's kept a 2006 Silverado on the road, and I'm not, right? not saying that to put GMC down. But you know, it, it it does seem that our our environment is increasingly harsh on vehicles. Yes, or they are. Maybe we're just getting lighter and building them. Who knows? <laughs> That's some fantastic advice. Um, we'll break for a moment. We'll 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 hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in a second. And we're back with Brian Turner answering our questions from listeners. Uh, uh, submitted questions from Facebook and Twitter, social media, and through email. So thanks for um, thanks for your expertise and dispensing your advice today. We really appreciate it, Brian. You're most welcome. Happy to do it. <laughs> um, Kate from Facebook um, seems to want to either she has a new to her Wrangler or she's just getting into the off-road scene. Her question is, where would you start with modifications to make a 2014 Jeep Wrangler better off-road? Great question. Um, and it really, you have to think about what you use it for on-road as well, because there are some great modifications you can make in terms of tire choices, in terms of suspension lifts, uh, in terms of electronically disconnectable um, sway bars. Uh, but if it's your daily driver too, you want to be careful or you're going to create a Frankenstein monster that's great on the trails, but absolutely not your favorite vehicle when you're commuting back and forth on city streets. That's a great, that's a great point because there's so many things that spring to my mind that are like, yes, we'll do this and tires and a huge lift, but you're right. As soon as you start using that thing for commuting to work or going to the shops for a quart of milk, that it, it ruins the ride or it ruins uh, the experience. When I look at the way the Wrangler is built today versus the way it was many moons ago when I worked at the plant where it was built, I used to work at the head office of American Motors Jeep Renault, and just outside my office door was the assembly line for the YJ at the time. That's what we called it. No and way. With the square headlights and 87 to, yeah. Exactly. So uh, I, I, I would look at a mild lift and with, with, uh, with the Wrangler, you've got a couple of choices. You can either go with new coils and control arms, uh, or you can uh, buy spacer blocks that just simply extend the reach of the, the springs. Uh, the, the spacer block system's a lot cheaper, but it gives you the, the normal passenger ride of the, the factory springs, uh, which some people find fine, but some people might like them a little stiffer and a little more reach, a little more travel when they're onto off-road conditions. Um, one thing you have to be careful about, if you're doing anything more than say three inches on a Wrangler, you have to be able to accommodate the change in the working angle of the drive shafts. 
And if you don't do that, you'll lose a transfer case the first month out because it'll just tear the bearings out of the back of the tra- and the front of the transfer case. That makes a lot of sense because all of a sudden you've introduced a, a pretty steep pitch versus versus stock, right? And there's a, a, a lot of ways that different lift manufacturers deal with it. Um, some people will actually change the uh, tilt of the front and rear axle so it, it points up a little bit and, 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 and removes stress. Uh, Mopar, which is uh, Jeep's um, accessory arm, they just recommend new drive shafts uh, that have a longer reach, more flexibility. They won't strain the transfer cases, but that's that's still a mild lift. You're not going to get any more than about four inches. You're going to spend some money. Uh, if you're going to go into a proper lift with springs and coils and control arms and drive shafts, don't expect to go out the door with a lot of change left over from $4,000 before you put it in. And I think that's a good point because if you're going to do it, do it right. There's nothing yeah. scarier in the world than driving a pickup truck with a sketchy lift. And then, of course, the tires are another big concern. Uh, if you're going to do some, you know, some good off-roading, you want to have the grip and you want to have the size uh, to match what you've done with any kind of suspension work. And keep in mind, that used to be a very easy thing to do, change tire sizes. Who cares as long as they fit? Who cares? My speedometer is only off a little bit. Not in the world of, you know, 5, 10, 15, you know, 15 computers in a vehicle these days. Uh, you put the wrong size tires on a vehicle especially a 14 Wrangler is a great example. And you don't accommodate for the change in circumference of the of the tire rim assembly. You can get a situation where it just drives away and refuses, stalls and won't restart because it doesn't recognize the pinion factor anymore. The computer saying, hey, no, no, there's no way we rolled that many feet and only turned over, you know, that many RPM or that many counters on our tra- on our output speed. Um, now that there, there's an answer for that too. And the answer can be either stay with the original circumference of the assembly of that means tire and rim, um, within 3% of that. And then you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, or if you go beyond that, if you hit a 10% or 15% difference, you can usually buy from a reputable manufacturer, a plug-in computer prom that'll plug into the diagnostic port underneath the dash and let the, the vehicle recognize the new tire circumference. Um, and when you're talking about tires, unfortunately, there's there's a real fine line between what's good off-road and what's livable with on-road. Uh, when you get into you know good quality tires like Duratrax and Mudtrax, uh, KO2s, um, you know, some real aggressive tread tires that are going to be able to take the beating and give you the traction off-road, I'll tell you, uh, unless you like the song of tires on the vehicle, they're not that nice to listen to on the highway. <laughs> They'll be playing the song of their people every day. Exactly. It, it would be almost like someone who's very uh, into fishing, always going to work on a pair of waders. It's, yeah, it's not. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the vehicles, you know, the Wrangler was built to be modified right out of the plant. Uh, and I mean, uh, an entire industry has, has grown up around modifying this one brand of vehicle. I think it's fantastic that you work just right outside the assembly line. That's that's so cool. And it was a big change <laughs> the way they build vehicles today. But still, I think we got 26 of them off the line in an hour and they all ran. So I thought that was a good day. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, you know, we actually, next... we actually dared to water test every one of them. Really? 
the last slot of the assembly line as it rolled to the point where it was fueled and run on dynos to test gauges and temperatures and all that stuff. The last, and it was about a 50-foot tunnel, was a water tunnel. And so they put these vehicles through a water test that I don't think they'd ever pass in real life. And they all came <laughs> out. I, I, well, I say dry, but I saw a lot of towels hanging around where the engineers have had to get in them and drive them to the test center. But in just a case, I was going to say, who who drew the short, short straw to get into it while whilst going through the tunnel, right? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, another great point uh, when you're talking about uh, just leads into the 14 Wrangler. Um, yeah. That's, you know, the era the Jeep was well into these hardtops with these multi-panels, these freedom top panels, you could call it. And we would remove these two uh, panels immediately over both front seats and enjoy some open air experience. Um, those things do tend to run into water leaks if you don't get them back on exactly the right way and don't fold any of the seals over on each other. Um, I remember running into a, a lab one time to do an interview with someone at uh, QNX, the people that are working on autonomous vehicles in right, uh, right, right. And they had a brand new Wrangler four-door. They were wiring up with probably more electronics than the vehicle was worth. Uh, to do some autonomous vehicle testing, and they had the panels off. And I said to the chief engineer I was interviewing, wow, he sa I said, I hope you, you understand that you've just <laughs> created a water leak, and I don't think you really want any of that stuff you put in that vehicle wet. No. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of wet, whatever, yeah. as dry as possible for all those sensitive electronics. But we're digressing. So you, you Wrangler, you have lots of choices. Um, me personally, I'd stick with a mild lift, maybe two to three inches max. I'd go, I'd go up all out and buy the ones with the springs. And if the manufacturer recommended a drive shaft, take it too. And then with your tires, well, you know, the world's your oyster. I mean, you've got so much selection of good quality brand name tires that are built right for this market. Just remember every time you, try to bring it back to center. You want to have a vehicle you can live with during the day and, and off-road with on the weekend. Every time you try to move to center, you're giving up something on one side or the other. That's great advice for, for a lot of things in life, not just, not just Jeep <laughs> Wranglers. <laughs> we've, got, we've got time for one more question. We'll jump to this one here. Uh, Rick from Facebook says that he was into a dealer looking at a GMC Sierra HD diesel. Now, a lot of... Um, trucks diesel heavy duty trucks have this feature that he's asking about um he's he said that truck had an exhaust brake button on the dash and the sales guy tried his best to explain it but rick left a bit more confused than when he started so what is he talking about when he um in terms of exhaust brake button and is it of any use for normal drivers that's that's the jake brake and that was it's still very popular and, and it started off with heavy duty trucks right the, the large uh, tractor trailers uh, the large earth moving machines and things like that. Uh, what that switch does is it closes a damper uh, in the output of the exhaust manifold and allows pressure to build up. And that exhaust pressure, when it builds up, uh, you know, before into the cylinder head, it, it forcefully slows the engine down uh, rapidly. And um, it can make some different noises. Now, today's modern, you know, light truck diesels, you don't really hear a lot of noise. You really can hear it when you were, you know, driving a 1978 International corn binder uh, with split <laughs> diff, you know, and uh, you had a nice big Cummins under the hood. And when you flip the Jake brake on, that's why a lot of quiet neighborhoods have these signs. 
that say no engine brakes please uh, because it does create a very unique high-pitched sound but that's what it's doing it's restricting exhaust flow backing the pressure up into the engine and slowing down the piston movement by not letting them move without pressure so that way it slows the engine. So if um, ostensibly the person has a lot of weight, whether they're towing it or whether it's payload or whatever, that will that will help with deceleration. Hey? Exactly. Now, uh, could you use it to decelerate, you know, in normal driving circumstances in a light duty truck uh, without, you know, saving some, some wear and tear in your brakes? Yeah, maybe. And you know what? You can compare it to uh, electric vehicles these days that have what they call the one pedal control. Nissan's famous for it, where as long as you're on the acceleration mode, you're off to the races. As soon as you release the accelerator pedal, the regenerative brakes kick in and start slowing you down. Now they've they defined it to, you know, with anti-collision systems to actually bring you to a complete stop. But that's the type of drag it puts or similar, you know, when we were kids and uh, did silly things when we first got our driver's license and we, you know, <laughs> no, never. <laughs> Take mom and dad's sedan or pickup truck out that had a standard transmission. What was the favorite trick? Drop it into low gear when you're doing about 50 miles an hour and drop the clutch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and that kind of gives you the same idea. You don't, there's not really a lot of benefit for day to day driving unless you're carrying a load or towing a trailer um, or you're in hilly terrain. Uh, in those circumstances, though, especially when you're at highway speeds uh, and you want to be able to make sure you can safely stop. Yep, absolutely. Punch that button and uh, let it do its job because it will uh, give you a, a noticeable increase in braking power. That's fantastic. Like throwing at a, like throwing at an anchor. You got it. Nice. I like that. Thank you so much, Brian. I, and I know our, our our listeners will have found a lot of use, and um, I'm sure they're very thankful too for your expertise, Brian. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Anytime. Happy to happy to do it. That was Brian Turner, a gearhead with four decades of frontline parts and service experience, answering listener questions about their pickup trucks and 4x4s. Huge thanks to Brian for answering those questions, and to you, the listener, for sending in such great questions and coming up with some great ideas for things that Brian can talk about. He made some great points in all of his answers, but I'm gravitating towards what he was saying when it comes to selecting the right towing equipment weights usually go up and man that's as true a statement as I've ever heard there's very few people I know who will trade down to a with a tow behind RV or find themselves buying an ATV or snowmobile that's smaller than the last one right and judging by the amount of topsoil it took me to replant my entire front lawn last summer <laughs> the same rule goes for gardening gear as well but as mentioned at the end of our last episode, we've now had the chance to spend some quality time behind the wheel and off-road with GM's newest mid-sized trucks. And after having a chance to wield the things to the trails in North Carolina, we can say the General has done his homework, and the upcoming new Ford Ranger and redesigned Toyota Tacoma, they're going to have to bring their A-game if they want to beat these things, and particularly the off-road duo of ZR2 and AT4X equipped with those tremendous multimatic dampers. Between the new GM mid-sizers that are out now, 
the Ranger that's coming up and the Tacoma that's coming up, it is a great time to be a fan of mid-sized trucks. And I bring this up because next episode we're going to have some engineers who help design those GM mid-size trucks. So be sure to tune in for that. They'll have some inside baseball on what it took to design the things, some of the decisions they made with power and styling and equipment. You won't want to miss it. Be sure to tune in. Well, that's our episode for now. Big thanks to our guest auto expert Brian Turner, producer Adam Foster, and to all the listeners for joining us on the Truck Guy Podcast. Be sure to check out driving.ca where you're going to find the best in truck reviews, videos, and breaking news. And while you're there, be sure to use the site's comparison tool for head-to-head shopping and sign up for their Blind Spot newsletter. That'll be delivered to your inbox featuring a roundup of the week's most important automotive news. And be sure to subscribe to the Truck Guy podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music, so you can listen to this truck-loving Newfoundlander and his guests tell a few stories while talking about pickup trucks and 4x4s. Thanks for listening.